morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone online as well. So this is Emma, and I'm Rachel, and we have an exciting announcement for you. Uh, so some of you may have known or not, but this summer I did a prayer meeting once a week for an hour, and I just really felt burdened to do this. And when it, I felt like it went really well, and when it was over, I just still, I didn't feel a release. I just kind of still felt just kind of stirred in the place of prayer. And I've just been thinking on it and praying on it, and I've been reading an Ian e. Bounds book, and he talked about that verse that says, God rewards those who diligently seek him. And he said, many people think that's saying that God rewards people that pray. And he said, it's not that God rewards people that pray. He rewards those who diligently keep praying. They don't give up on prayer. And I, th I just really believe this is a season that we need to just keep praying. And that even though we feel maybe that our prayers aren't being heard or answered or we don't see the breakthrough, I just feel this need to keep praying. And Emma's going to tell you the details. Awesome. So we'll be doing this about once a month, um, minimum. And it's not, it'll be one hour in the prayer room. Um, and it won't be a consistent, like, oh, we're going to meet every Tuesday at 3 p.m. No, we're going to do um, more of a random thing. Um, some in the morning, some in the evening, different weekdays, or maybe a weekend. Um, because we know that people have different schedules and we want to be able to do this with everyone in the church that feels the burden of prayer. Um, and so it will be one hour of prayer and worship. Um, and so to sign up, we'll be sending out a text um, for anyone that wants to be a part of it. And so you can sign up online or over at the kiosk. Yeah, and we're calling it Persistent Prayer. I think there is a graphic for that. It might not be working. But anyway, we're going to be calling it Persistent Prayer. And I think Emma had it all up, said most of it. But yeah, just one hour in the prayer room every time, worship different times. We feared that it would work better for people's schedule. And Emma and I do not like routine. We like to change it up. So you never know when we're going to do this. So we are not going to be announcing this when we're doing it. So if you want to be a part of it, you need to sign up in the kiosk. You need to, to get texts we, yeah, at the uptownchurch.net or go to the kiosk. And if you sign up, that's not saying that you, you're a slave to come to every single one of these. It just means that you want to be in the know of them. So if you want to be in the know when we're going to do them, sign up because we're only communicating through text. Well, good morning, everybody. Are you glad you came to church today? Amen. Wow, what a powerful word we heard just a few moments ago. And I remember there was a couple of times in there where the Lord was speaking and saying and calling us to open our eyes, open our eyes and see, see what I'm doing. And today to conclude this um, running with the horses, I want to talk to you today about run, running with vision and having our eyes open to see what God wants us to see, so we can be where God wants us to be. And um, so I want to talk today about this idea of every one of us getting our own vision, a vision not only for ourselves, but a, a vision for the world that we live in. God wants us to have supernatural vision, eyesight, insight, on, on our culture, on our times. And he's looking for every one of us to look, to open our eyes and to see. And so I want to talk about that today. And I want to begin by looking at the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. And I want to read a couple of verses. I'll do some explaining, then we'll read some more. But it begins, the book of Habakkuk begins in chapter 1. And this, and this is what it says. This is the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. He said, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear, even cry out to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you show me iniquity, 
and cause me to see trouble. For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention that arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. Does does that sound like vaguely familiar to the times that we're living in? And he says, the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. And so just pause right there because Habakkuk begins this book by making his complaint known to God. The whole first chapter is basically on that idea. He's complaining to God about the way things are and the fact that God seems to be passive. That God doesn't seem to be actively involved in what's going on in his time and in his culture. And he said the the lawless are getting away. They're breaking the law and they're getting away with it and you're doing nothing. And then in the following verses which I'm not going to have up there, but let me just give you a brief synopsis of them. He says in verses 5 through the end of the chapter to about verse 11, the Lord responds to him. Actually, he says in verse 5, I'll show you this. He says, look among the nations. This is God talking now. He says, look among the nations and watch. Everybody say watch. Be utterly astounded, the Lord says, for I'm going to work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were told you. And then he goes on to describe the work. And the work is this evil people called the Chaldeans. He said they have horses that are swift as leopards. These are strong people. These are evil people. And the Lord went on to explain, I'm not, I, I am not about what they're doing, but I'm going to use what they're doing for my glory. And in essence, he said to Habakkuk, like the Lord told Jeremiah many weeks ago that we read about, Habakkuk, if you think it's bad now, get ready. It's not going to get any better for a little while. That was the Lord. And then Habakkuk came back at the end of the, the, the final few verses of chapter 1, and he just complains to God. And he's like, surely you're not going to take evil people to teach righteous people lessons. You're not going to do that. (laughs) That's what he said. And so he said, after all of that complaining in chapter 2, let's look at chapter 2 verses 1, 2, and 3. He says, this is a back hook. He says, so now I'm going to stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what the Lord will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. So he's, he's bracing himself. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak, it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not Harry, even if it takes a long time, keep going after it because it's going to come. Amen. So that's the word of the Lord. Let's talk about this idea of running with vision. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here today. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes. Open our eyes, God, as you've already called us by your Spirit to see Not the former things, but the new things. I pray, God, that today we will see all men clearly. And as all men, we will see clearly. Men and women alike, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody says amen. Well, there is a scene in the Lion King movie where Simba finally makes it back home to where he had grown up. And it was easy to see that it was not the place that it once was. It was not what it used to be. And so I love this scene. It's one of my favorites in the movie. He comes upon a ridge and he has his friends with him that came back with him. And they could look out over the land and they could see that it was 
bleak and dark and just kind of a pall of death was hanging over the land, the pride land. And I love it. Timon, he's a little disappointed. He looks out and he says to Simba, this is the land you're going to fight your uncle for? Something like that. You came back to fight your uncle for this? And Simba says, yes, Timon, this is my home. And Timon said, well, talk about your fixer-upper. <laughs> I love that scene. Simba had come home to reclaim what was rightfully his. Under Scar's evil reign, the land became desolate and full of hopelessness. On the outside, all Simba could see was destruction. But in his mind's eye, he saw what it could be, what it should be, and he was ready to fight for it. Timon saw hopelessness. Simba saw his home. What do you see? What do you see when you look around you, in your own life, around your life, in your city, in your nation, in your world? Let's be honest. We live in a world that's a real fixer-upper. It's full of darkness, dysfunction, death, hatred, division, dissension. And like scars, Satan has wreaked havoc on our world. But we have a choice. We can either be a Timon that only sees this is what you want to fight for, or you could be a Simba and you see your home. See, in Christ, in Christ, this is our domain. This world that we live in is our domain. In Christ, this is our land. This is our world. This is not the final estate of the world, but this is, while we're here, this is ours. And Jesus already won the victory at the cross, but he's also then imparted his vision into us. And he says, you need to appropriate what I accomplished 2,000 years ago in your world. So that when you come up on the bleakness, the darkness, the, the disparity, the, the, the hurting, the brokenness of society, what are you seeing? What are you seeing about yourself in all of that? What are you seeing about the world? Do you see only hopelessness? Or do you see, this is my home. This is my responsibility. This is something that I need to take authority over and not let that evil scar Satan run the roost and rule the roost and, and bring continual destruction and hopelessness in society. God wants us to have a vision. And this is one of the reasons why he poured out his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all flesh. It was so that we might have the power of God not merely and only to speak in tongues, but to live out the life of Jesus in the earth every day of our lives and see the things that Jesus saw and do the things that Jesus did. But we got to have a vision. Our eyes need to be open. We can't look on the former things. We have to look on the new things that God is doing. And so Peter on the day of Pentecost was explaining to the multitudes what had happened when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And he said, this is what the prophet Joel said in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. He said, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. What is the Holy Spirit's purpose in my life? It's for the power of God to to inspire me, to motivate me, to propel me, to speak for God, to dream for God, to have a vision for God. Not just to get saved and go to heaven, but to get saved and live to bring heaven to earth. You're going to go to heaven, that's your final destination. But your destiny is to bring heaven to earth. Amen. And so, by the Spirit, we need to get a vision. 
We need to open up our eyes and see. We need to be like Simba and come back to our land. This is my land. This is the land that the Lord has. This is my sphere, Paul called it. My, this is my sphere of influence. I'm going to possess it, and I'm going to take it back because I see things that Timons don't see. And I want to tell you something. Every one of us on some level are a Simba and a Timon. Where it concerns my vision, you might be like, you're going to fight for this, and I might do the same to you. But we need to have a vision. Amen. And so what I want to talk about today, if we're, if we're going to run with the horses in these days that we live, the Chaldeans, whose horses are swift as leopards, if we're going to run with them, we're going to have to have a vision, and that's what happened in Habakkuk. So to run with the, to run with the vision, I want to just talk about a couple of ideas about what it means to run with vision. First of all, if we're going to run with a vision, we need to discover what God is up to. We need to see what God is doing. Vision comes to those who are looking for it. I'm going to say it again. Vision comes to people who will open their eyes and who are looking for it. And in particular, we're looking to see what God is doing. This was Habakkuk, what we've already read. So I'm not going to go deeply into it, but you remember he was complaining about his world. He was complaining about God's seemingly passivity in the culture and saying, God, what are you doing and why are you taking so long to do it? And God gave him an answer that he didn't like, which happens once in a while. Because God is God and you are not. But he is still God and he's your God and he's your Lord and he loves you and he has a plan and a purpose for you. And so he complained some more. And then he said, I'm going to sit here. He said, I'm going to go up on my wall, my rampart, which is a, a lookout tower on a city wall. They would put watchmen up there to watch out over the city to see if they're, watch for the city, to see if there are any enemies coming to attack them. He said, I'm not going up there to see any movement of the enemy. I'm going to go up there and wait to see what God is doing and what the Lord will show me and what the Lord will say to me. And he went up there and he waited and he waited and you know what? God showed up. And God said, you need to write this vision down. You need to take it, you need to pin it in your heart and take a hold of it. Listen, I just, let me just stop right here. It would be better for us to get a vision for our world rather than sit around and complain about our world. Anybody can complain about how awful things are are and they probably are not going to get a whole lot better soon but we can still get a vision from God but here's the vision we need to be looking for not for just things that make me feel better about my life we need to discover we need to see we need to be looking for God what are you doing in these days what are you doing right now what are you up to that's what Habakkuk did. The Lord showed him a vision. And the Lord said, you need to write this down so that the person who reads it can run with it. Amen. Are you with me? We need to look out to see what God is doing. What is God doing in our culture? What is God doing in all this brokenness and this pain? Proverbs 29, verse 18 says, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is what they had in the days of Jesus and the early church, this is how it reads. Where there is no prophetic seer or no prophetic interpreter, the people become lawless. So the Lord is saying, I need people in the earth that have a prophetic insight. They see things. They have an ability to interpret the signs of the times and things that are going around us, going on all around us. Here's how the message uh, 
translated Proverbs 29, 18. The message says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. See, you and I are the ones that need to see. We are to be the seers in the times that we live. To see beyond what it looks like in the natural. To not only what it could be, but as Andy Stanley says about vision, what it should be. What God designed it to be. What God planned it to be before this brokenness and this rebellion set into our culture. So we've got to stop complaining about things and say, God, you've got to show me what you're doing in these times that we live. I read a quote many years ago. I don't know where I got it, but I do remember it. And it says this, eyes are useless when the mind is blind. It, you know, you can see, anybody can see stuff. But what does your mind's eye say? What is, what is, what is, you know, you have the mind of Christ. Did you not know that? Amen, Tim. I have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. Eyes are useless when the mind is blind. Our world desperately needs some prophetic seers to see like Jesus saw. Do you remember what Jesus went around saying? I do what I see the Father doing. I'm saying what I'm hearing him say. That kind of vision. That kind of vision. And I know that when Jesus healed blinded eyes, I know that he was healing people of physical brokenness. And the Bible says that by his stripes we are healed. And so he healed people of fevers. He healed people of leprosy. He healed people that were blind and deaf. But I also know too that in that physical restoration of eyes that the Lord was saying, I've come to open all of your eyes. I've come to give all of you vision. And remember that man that he healed, that man that was blind and he touched him and he said, what do you see? And he said, I see all men as trees walking around. And then he touched him again. And he said, now what do you see? He said, I see all men clearly. See, that's what the Lord wants for us. A lot of us Christians, well, some of us Christians, let me say it that way so I'm not so mean. We're seeing things like trees walking around. We don't have, we know that there's something, you know, out there, but we're not really, we don't have that clarity. But Jesus wants us to have a vision that's clear. And the only way that we're going to see is to see what God is doing. What's God doing? God's doing something. God's up to something. And it looks pretty messy right now. But the Lord said, you need to make the vision clear. Write it down. Make it clear. So that you can run with it. Come on, we're running with vision. Amen. Are we having fun? So with that, running with vision, not only do we need to discover what God is up to, then with that, we need personally, individually to desire, number two, desire to make a difference. Vision in your heart and in your life will grow where there's a desire in you to be, a, to be the difference in the culture that you live. Some of mankind's greatest needs are needing to feel secure, that sense of belonging to something that's important or belonging in relationship. But here's another one. This is a deep, God-given need in the human soul is that need of significance, that my life matters, that, that I mean something in this earth and in this world. And I just want to remind you here today that you were created in the image and after the likeness of God. When he formed you, men and women, when he formed you and he put you together in your mother's womb, he wasn't making a mistake. He wasn't, the, this wasn't just some sort of, you know, just uh, happenstance of, of our humanity. God was designing your life and he was making you 
as he desired you to be. Amen. And so we need to understand this, that we were created in his image and after his likeness. So there is a, I think there's a restlessness in us until we really have this sense and feel that we can actually make a difference. And vision grows in a person who really desires to make a difference. I want to remind you what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says that we, all of us here, are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. You're God's handiwork. You're God's masterpiece. You're God's, literally in the Greek language, you're his work of art. You're his work of art. And he loves to show you off. And so if you want to be shown off, if you want to step into that handiwork and that masterpiece of God, there is on some level, has to be a desire to go there. And the example that I want to share with you today is out of, well, it's Moses' life. We all know the story, or many of us know the story about Moses. He was a Hebrew child. He was, and he was born, and his mom and dad didn't want him to be killed, so they put him in a bulrush, put him out on the Nile, and he was found by Pharaoh's daughter, and he was basically raised between two homes for at least a time, but ultimately he was raised in Pharaoh's court, and he was being groomed to be an Egyptian leader. But the Bible tells us, and I love Stevens, when he preaches about it in Acts chapter 7, I love his take on it because he says that Moses had it in his heart when he became of the age of 40. There was something on the inside of him that he knew that he was born for more than to be an Egyptian leader. And he wanted to be a deliverer of his people. And he thought that because of his position in society that this must have been what God had designed so he was going to utilize it to be a deliverer of his people. But he took matters into his own hands and he did it at his own time. And he messed things up. But he wasn't messed up forever. He maybe wasn't in step with what God was doing in the spirit, but he was still God's man to set his people free. But I want you to hear those words. Stephen said, it was in his heart, it was in his heart to set his people free. And then when he did it wrong and they rejected him, then he, he said, I thought they would have understood that God would deliver them through my hand. So he, listen to those words, that God would deliver. He spoke prophetically and he didn't even realize it. But what happened was he ran in fear and he got a little discouraged because his dreams didn't come true. Hey, hey, are you out there? I used to want to make a difference I used to dream dreams. I thought I saw what God was doing, but it didn't happen. And so here's what Moses did. He went off and he began to live his life and he spent the next 40 years on the backside of the desert. Well, I'm here to tell you today, God's going to be picking people out of the desert today. Because you got discouraged that things didn't happen when you thought they should happen or the way that they should happen. Just because it may have gotten off course a little bit doesn't mean you're off course. Because God had him out there and he was working on him. And when he was 80 years old, and this is for us old timers, you're never too old, no matter your experience in life or your age, you're never beyond making a difference. Amen. And so God picked him out. And told him, it's time. And uh, this idea of desiring to make a difference. You know what, God, Moses needed to catch a vision of three things. First of all, he needed to get a vision for himself. When God was calling Moses, Moses kept rebutting God. 
I'm too old. I don't know how to talk. I stutter. You can't use me. I'm beyond use. You know what he needed? He needed a vision for himself. If we're going to make a difference, we got to get a vision for ourselves that we are God's handiwork. We are God's workmanship. My dad used to say all the time, it's not original to him, but I remember, I remember and I, when I was preparing this message, I could hear him saying it. He used to say that God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Can I tell you, you're the crooked stick. But God can use crooked sticks and draw a straight line. Hallelujah. We need to get a vision for ourselves. Here's another thing God wanted him to get a vision of. He wanted him to get a vision of souls. Listen, when we talk about vision and dreams, it's not about your personal happiness. It's about God's eternal destiny. We're talking about lives. We're talking about broken humanity. And so he needed, what did God say to him? He's not saying, oh Moses, I so want you to live up to your highest potential. He said, Moses, the reason why I'm coming to you is because I'm hearing the cries of my people. They're broken, they're lost, they're abused, they're destitute, and I'm coming to you about it. Woo, come on. Needed a vision of himself. He needed to get a vision for himself. He needed to get a vision for souls. But he also needed to get a vision for the supernatural. He kept saying, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. Not me, Lord. Look at me. You can't work through me. And I love the Lord, what he said to him. What is that in your hand? And it was his shepherd's crook. And the Lord said, throw it to the ground. And that stick turned into a snake. And then the Lord said to him, pick it up by the tail. I don't know if you know this, but you don't normally pick snakes up by the tail. But he said, you pick it up by the tail. As soon as he touched it, turn back into a stick. You know what the Lord was saying to him? That shepherd's crook in your hand that you've been using to shepherd sheep all these years, it is merely an instrument of your power. It does what you want it to do, and it accomplishes what you put it out there to accomplish. And so the Lord was saying, you're going to be in my hand like that stick has been in your hand. It's going to be you obeying me, but it's my power. I'm the one doing the work. I'm pulling the weight here, but you've got to obey me. You've got to be willing to go out there. Listen, if you have a desire to make a difference, I just want to encourage you today, it is not over for you. You need to get a vision for yourself again. And a vision for souls and a vision of the supernatural of God. So, let's make a difference. Amen? To run with vision, we need to discover what God is doing. Desire to make a difference. Number three, dare to dream big. Dare to dream big. This idea of dreaming and daring to dream big is really important. I love what Paul said in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Everybody say think. Think. Above all that we are able to ask or think according to the power that works in us. Can I get a good amen out there? Come on, isn't that a good word? Let me show you how the message puts it. God can do anything, you know. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently within us. You know, God can do anything beyond your wildest dreams. Dream the wildest dream. Dream the biggest dream. Dream beyond what you think is even biblical. That's hard for some of us. And he says, God can do that and more. George Bernard Shaw said, some men see things as they are and they say, why? I dream things 
that never were and say, why not? Why not? Some of the greatest inventions started with a mind thought or a dream thought. Come on, isn't that true? Some of the greatest inventions were, they were up here first. They were in our, our, and I'm talking about our mind's eye. And so when we start thinking that way, we're, we're like, well, why? Why? Why would we do that? Why would we do that? Why? Why do we need that? Well, we need some people that got some why not in them. Like, why not? I mean, you only live once. You might as well live. Well, I'm a why guy. Well, maybe you should become a why not guy. I mean, I get, I get we're not all cut out the same. I, I get all that. But we're talking about, we're talking about God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we are able to ask or think. I mean, you think of it. God can do it. You know, he can do it. And so there needs to be on the inside of us this this idea of not just night dreams, but daydreams. Like dreams when we're awake, but we're in the realm of the Spirit of God. That we're seeing things. You know, I walk around sometimes and when I'm, you know, grappling with everything around here and where, where things have ended and how far we've come and how far more that, you know, that maybe we need to go. And I'll walk around and I'll just, I'll look over the land and I'll see things or I'll imagine, I, I'm an, I, I imagine them. And I'm not sitting there saying, you know, I imagine you into existence. I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming of possibilities. I'm dreaming of what it could be, what I think it should be. And if it shouldn't, God will come sideways and he'll fix it. Maybe he'll put me over here for a while and repair my way of thinking until he gets me right where he wants me to be. Is this doing anything for anybody? So we need to have this imagination, I think, Daydreams, night dreams. I thought of an old country song. I shouldn't even. I shouldn't even say it. Tammy, why are you laughing up there? I'm having daydreams about. I'll say it this way. I'm having daydreams about God things, in the middle of the afternoon. Amen. We need to get some daydreaming in our spirit. And I love when God comes in the night. I had one just the other night. It's been a long time. I'm an old man. I should be dreaming. And, uh, but it's been a long time since I've had a dream, but I feel like God gave me one the other night. But you know, God can, he comes through nights, but he also comes through the day. Joseph is an example of someone who dreamed big dreams. He had a dream Now, you talk about a dream. Now, I know it was God-inspired, but I'm telling you, what I'm telling you, listen, Jesus already told us, or uh, Peter, Peter already told us, what Joel said is what God is doing. He poured out his spirit to put prophetic unction in us, to be prophetic seers and interpreters, and to be prophetic dreamers. And so, Joseph received a dream from heaven. And it was a dream that got on the inside of him, so much so that he kind of bragged about it. And he kind of owned it. He made it his dream. And he ticked off his brothers and, you know, and all of that. But it was a dream. And it was big. A world ruler. Everybody's going to bow to me. And he dreamed this dream. And I love how well, let me just say this. He, he literally epitomizes that phrase, he was living the dream. <laughs> the rest of the story, from the time he got the dream to the, to the fulfillment of that dream, he literally was living the dream. But he wasn't living it as he thought he would live it. He went on this journey 
to get him right where God wanted him to be, the way God wanted him to get there, for the reason why God wanted him there, not in accordance to what he thought when he first dreamed it. And so we all have dreams. But I want to tell you something. You're going to live the dream. You're going to live it. And here's what we know about Joseph's dream. This is how he lived the dream. Here's what you need to know about every dream. Dreams going to take time. They are going to go through testing. They require you to fully put your trust and your confidence in God and not in yourself. And they all, in God, come true. That's what happened with Joseph. He no sooner dreamed the dream than he went on this journey, 13-year journey, from the time he got it till the time he was there. 13 years of waiting and wondering what God was doing in all of it. And he was being tested. And you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested by the rejection of others. You're going to be tested by seduction and temptation. You're going to be tested by neglect of people around you, people who don't see you for who you really are. But as you, as you go through those tests and you pass those tests, you will find your place at that place. God put in your spirit. Amen. And it's going to require trust. In it. But, but I love this part. They will come true. Not necessarily our version of truth, but God's truest intentions. That's what they will become. I read somewhere, I don't know if I have this quote up there for you, but I read this and it says, the more you dream, the clearer your vision becomes. The more you dream, the clearer your vision becomes. I think that's what I've noticed about dreaming. I dream it, but then God refines it. And he helps me to know this is it, this is the time. But we got to have a dream. And we got to dare to dream. Amen? Just a few moments ago, Penny gave me this little brooch. I noticed this was on, they had this, they were wearing this in. And uh, it's, a little, it's a little turtle. And it's uh, Judy, Judy Martz, who was the governor of our state. Uh, she wore a turtle, I guess, every, everywhere she went. And the, the idea behind the turtle is it only goes forward when it sticks its neck out. And so she then, I said, oh, that's a, that's a really pretty brooch. And she took it off and gave it to me. And so I have it now. But um, stick your neck out. Dream big dreams. Amen? One final thing that is necessary to run with the vision, and that is that we need to determine to finish the race that we have. To run with the vision, see what God is doing, desire to be a part of it, to be in on it, to make a difference. Then, what was number three? Dare to dream big. And then determine to finish the race. In other words, to see it through to completion. Remember what the Lord said to Habakkuk? He said, write the vision down. Make it clear so that he who reads it can run with it. And if it tarries, if it takes a while, just keep with it. Because when it's time, it's time. But it's important that you hold on to the vision and that you run with it, determining to finish the race that you're running, your race in Christ. To run with vision means that we need to run all the way to the finish. You don't get to jump ship. Well, I feel like it. Too bad. You don't get to bail. You got to finish. And to finish, it's going to require tenacity. It's going to re require fortitude. It's going to require guts. No guts, no glory. Amen. Paul had this in his heart. 
this was in his spirit, this idea of finishing the race. When he was called of Jesus, you guys know the story. He had a vision of Jesus. He saw the Lord. A light came and shined on him. And he was explaining what happened to him many years later to King Agrippa. And I like how he summed it up. He said in Acts chapter 26, verse 19, he says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He not only had a vision of the Lord, but he received a vision from the Lord to live out in his life. And he said, I have not been disobedient to this vision. I've been going after this vision from that day till now. This is what the Lord has opened my eyes to see. I not only saw the glory of Christ, but I saw what he wanted me to do. And this is what I've been about my whole life since that time. And he, he, de, he described it like this in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. He says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. If you're going to get in the race, why not try to win? In other words, go after it. Go to the finish. Don't stop. Just keep going. And then he said in verses 26 and 27, he says, so here's how I run. I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. He said, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. He says, I live, here's how I run this race. I'm living every day, every step with purpose. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm, putting my, I'm disciplining myself to live my life in accordance to God's word and his ways. That's what my life is about. And I'm training myself to go the distance. Amen. And that's why he was able to say at the end of his life now, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That word for finish is teleo. That Greek word teleo is the same word we get our telescope from. A telescope is a, like I think of a pirate's telescope that, you know, kind of slides out in sections. In every section, you slide it out, the vision becomes a little clearer. You can see a little farther. And he says, I run with purpose in my steps. And my life has been like a telescope in the finish. I'm, I'm going to get to the end. I'm going to get there with my vision. As I see it, I'm going to get there. And he went there. He said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So listen, we have to run with vision. What do you see for your life? And I was talking to Julie about this on the way up because I know that when you talk like this, for some people, they're all about it. And for others of us, it's like, vision, what's that? What's dreams? What's that? I, I'm just trying to live through the day. And so this is beyond me. You know, I feel like God put this word in my heart, but I also feel like we all need to be challenged to say, God, open my eyes. I want to see all men clearly. I want a Simba vision, not a Timon vision. Amen. Can you stand with me? So I don't, we have some prayer folks. If they would come on up, um, here's what I want to do. Now you can receive prayer for anything today. And I'm making myself available to pray for anyone as well. But if you 
need a vision or if you're or if you've had a dream that you've been discouraged in or something like that i think it'd be great to pray with you about that and to ask god to open up your eyes to see again afresh and anew so father i just pray for everyone in this place today that you would move upon us god open up our eyes lord to see just like when you asked the blind man, what do you want? He said that I may see. God, I pray today that if we feel visionless, dreamless, God, that something would happen on the inside of us, God. That, our, that the eyes of our hearts would be open to see. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Give us a vision. Give us a vision for the world we live in. God, forgive us for sitting around and complaining about the way it looks and feels. Give us a vision for it, we pray. Help us to write it down. Lord, I pray that literally, that we will not worry about filling the page up, but just writing down that next step that next thing or that big thing that you're calling us to. In Jesus' name, amen.